We are about two-thirds of the way through Epiphany, and as I've been repeating to us, the season of Epiphany begins with a celebration of Jesus' baptism, and it ends with a celebration of Jesus' transfiguration. In other words, the church's worship in the season is framed by the only two times in the Gospels where we hear God the Father speaking directly to his Son and about his Son. His baptism, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And his transfiguration, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's as if the season of epiphany is a season where Jesus is revealed to us, where we are invited to hear and to share God's passion and his perspective for his son. I like the way Frederick Dale Bruner put it. The one fact that God the Father wants believers to know above absolutely all other facts is how much we have in Jesus. Now this morning in our gospel reading, it switches gears just a little bit because we don't hear the Father actually speaking about Jesus. We hear Jesus speaking about the church. So what this passage actually does is it invites us to hear and share Jesus's passion and perspective on his church in particular. Someone once said, Christians are ordinary people who make extraordinary claims about Jesus Christ. Well, here we see that Christians are also ordinary people about whom Jesus makes extraordinary claims. You are the salt of the earth, says Jesus. You are the light of the world. Now, before we dive into these kind of two domestic images of salt and light, Um, I want to make just a couple preliminary observations, and this may feel a little long, but bear with me. The first is that Jesus is not first and foremost issuing a command. He is making a statement of fact. You are. Not you will, not you may be, not you shall be, not you might be, but you are. It's a statement of reality of identity, of solidity. It is a statement of good news. This is who you are, Jesus is saying. And the second point is that this you that Jesus is talking about is a plural, collective, communal you. Jesus is dressing his followers as a community, not as individuals, but as persons who are undeniably in relation to one another. It's a collective and communal You, you as a community of my followers are the salt of the earth. You as a community of my disciples are the light of the world. Now, why do I raise this point? Well, a couple reasons. One of them is that for many of us and for many of you that I've gotten to know, we've had stories that are of a complicated and painful relationship to the church. I've heard just a few people say of Holy Trinity that Holy Trinity is the church of the last resort. (laughs) It draws many people who have had experiences of feeling misunderstood, who have grown disillusioned, and some who have burnt out very badly. The church of the last resort. In uh, Bishop Todd Hunter's book, Giving Church Another Chance, maybe some of you have read it before, He describes his experience, and I'm sure many of you can resonate with it. He said, I tried church, and I found it wanting. In 1991, after 25 years of walking with Jesus, I found myself struggling to connect the church to the daily 
practices of my life, says Todd. And then he goes on. For the first time in my life, I was not excited about going to church. Yes, my faith in Jesus and his kingdom agenda was strong, but the activity of the church was troubling me. And I know that there are many of you here who have had that experience. You've known Todd's experience before in your lives. And I think that makes it maybe somewhat hard for us to actually hear Jesus' words about the church. Jesus has an incredibly high view of the people of God here. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I think it's important for us to honest, just be honest about the fact that some of us have really complicated histories with what it means to be church. But in the midst of that, I think it's important for us also to hear Jesus, that he means exactly what he says. And that part of our healing journey, which so many of us here are on, involves kind of healing from these wounds that we've had in past experiences. And that can take a long, long time. And one of the wonderful things about Holy Trinity is I've, I've gotten to know so many of you that say, this is a, here I finally found space to heal, um, to just be. And one of the lovely things that I think this passage invites us into is a deeper form of healing, not just from past hurts, but a deeper form of healing where Jesus says, let me give you a renewed vision for what it means to be the people of God. Let me give you a new vision. Let me restore that to you. So that's the first reason why I raise this issue of the plural you. And the second reason is that we live in a culture that values autonomy and individuality above all else. You don't need me to tell you this. There have been some gains to this, as a, to this move as a society, no doubt, but there's also been a lot of losses. People are more isolated and lonely than they've ever felt before more connected by social media, but less known and no less. A wonderful TED Talk by David Brooks. Whatever you think of him, you should listen to this TED Talk. <laughs> it's entitled, The Lies Our Culture Tells Us About What Matters and a Better Way to Live. And he shares a kind of, he starts with a story about how he went through a particularly difficult season in life. He had a divorce after being married for some two to three decades. He lost a lot of friends that he previously had, and he said he just threw himself into work, kind of wholeheartedly, 100%, in the midst of that season. But what he came face to face with is just how lonely he was in the midst of it. And he shares the three lies that he felt like he learned he had bought into about the culture. And he learned those lies in the midst of an experience of deep loneliness. The first lie was the lie of careerism. He said, it's the lie that career success is ultimately fulfilling. Then he says there's the lie of self-sufficiency. I can make myself healthy, and I don't need others to be healthy. And then he said there's the lie of meritocracy. You are what you accomplish, and you can earn dignity and love by hard work. Those are the three lies he talked about. And so he kind of unpacks in this thing how we're in a place of going through this economic crisis, and some say environmental crisis, and some say political crisis. But he says, what I want to put out on the table is that maybe we're in a social and relational crisis as well. Maybe we're more fragmented from one another and more alone than we've ever been before. And he ends with this really suggestive and interesting statement. And this is what I found fascinating. He says, 
If we want to change this, this is, I think, how it happens. It says, society changes when a small group of people find a better way to live and the rest of us copy them. Society changes when a small group of people find a better way to live and the rest of us copy them. And it's into that context this morning that Jesus Christ looks at you and me and looks at us collectively together and says, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Salt and light, salt and light. So what does salt do? Well, salt has two functions as far as I can understand, and if there are more, please come tell me after the service. <laughs> First, it preserves meat. It keeps things from decaying. In a world, ancient world, where there are no refrigerators to keep meat from going bad and spoiling, you throw a lot of salt on it. And the second thing is salt seasons food. It enhances flavor and taste. You just need a little pinch of it, and it goes a long way. So as a preservative, salt keeps things from spoiling and it keeps things from decaying. So I think what Jesus is saying is that God rubs his salt into the earth. He spreads his people into every sphere and every place in society in order to keep it from spoiling, to keep it from decaying, to keep it from going bad. The things that immediately come to my mind are personal ones. Growing up and watching the number of marriages that my mother preserved through her friendship and her compassion and her prayer and her support when people really needed it. I think of my father and the number of jobs and families that he protected by not allowing investors in the Silicon Valley to strong him into unethical business practices. Salt preserves. It seeks to keep things from going bad as much as it possibly can. And as a seasoning, salt does more than just preserve. It seeks to enhance flavor and the taste of food. If any of you like to cook, you know this very well. Just a little bit of salt can make something taste so much better. According to Jesus, God seasons the earth with salt and spreads his people into every sphere and sector of society in order to make life taste better for the earth. The Christians and the church are there to enhance life. So I think of our partnership with Sonora Elementary School, and the question that Austin and others of us have been asking is, how do we enhance life for these kids and these teachers in Costa Mesa? I think of our work that people are doing with human sex trafficking, how do we enhance life for these women? Because what salt does is it doesn't just seek to preserve, it seeks to enhance. And that's what Jesus is saying that the church is to be on about. You are the salt of the earth, says Jesus. But the interesting thing is that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, and that's why it's so important that you're actually salty. Because if you're not salty, it's, you're not going to be able to do these two things. So that's why he speaks so strongly in the rest of verse 13. He says, if salt has lost its taste, how, does its saltiness, how is its saltiness restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I think Jesus is saying something like this to paraphrase him. The church is only life-preserving and life-enhancing for the world when it is genuinely different from the world. 
It is only life-preserving and life-enhancing for the world when it is genuinely salty, different from the world. So Jesus, I think, suggests, be different. Remain different. Stay different. Don't be afraid to be different. But the key question is, what sort of difference? I think what Trevecca alluded to in drawing our attention to the Beatitudes is bang on. Notice how in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does not start with, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus starts with, blessed are, and he gives this series of Beatitudes, and then it's after giving those Beatitudes that he then says, you are the salt of the earth. Because I think what he's drawing us to is what saltiness is going to look like for the people of God in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know their inner poverty. Blessed are those who mourn, who know the world is supposed to be different and they mourn over its brokenness. Blessed are those who are meek and gentle. They treat others with care and compassion. Why? Because they know they're poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who long for justice and right relationships. Blessed are those who are merciful, who do not give people what they deserve and give people what they do not deserve. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, who have no pretense about themselves, but are transparent before God and other people. Blessed are the peacemakers who seek to mend broken relationships. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, who do not waver in doing the right thing. Blessed are these people, says Jesus, for they are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth, put there to preserve and enhance its life. And then Jesus goes on in verse 14 and says, you are the light of the world. It's once again another domestic image. Just as salt would have been a common household item that you use for food, light would have been a common household item that you use to see. You would have a little flickering candle or oil lamp that you'd set in the middle of the room to provide just a little bit of light. But whose light is this? Notice how Jesus says, you are the light of the world. But if you guys know John's gospel at all, in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So which is it? Well, I guess according to Jesus, it's both. (laughs) Both. Somehow, Christ's light shines through us because we are united in contact with him. So here I think Jesus is saying Christians are a little bit more like the moon than the sun. They're intended to reflect the light of Christ to the world. And maybe Christians are a little more like stained glass windows than canvas paintings or frescoes. The light of Christ is refracted and reflected through them. It's a borrowed light in other words. So what does this borrowed light do? And two functions, once again. Light, number one, pushes back darkness. And light, number two, reveals truth. Light names the reality of darkness, calling out into the open what would rather remain secret and hidden. Light names darkness. And then light names truth. Truth. Life seen from the vantage point of God's creation and his mercy and his kindness and his compassion and his restoration. At least that's God's intention. But Jesus wants to tell us in verses 14 and 15, the light only does its work if it's actually public. 
if it's not concealed. So look at verses 14 and 15 with me. He gives two images of this. The first is urban. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And then the next is domestic. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light in all the house. If I can paraphrase Jesus here, whereas with the salt, he said, in order for salt to really do its work, it has to be different. Here, he says, in order for light to really do its work, it has to be public. It cannot be concealed. And concealing can happen for lots of reasons. It can just be compromise. It can be fear. It can be um, sloth. But as disciples of Jesus, we cannot conceal, Jesus says, the truth of who we are or the truth of what we know. We cannot pretend to be other than who we are and who Jesus has made us to be. We just must let it be visible. And it's fascinating to me why Jesus wants this so much. He goes on to talk about, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He wants the light to shine so that people may, through it, catch a glimpse of God's glory and then want to glorify the Father in heaven. There's a couple things going on here. One says something about the nature of our lives. I like the one way one person put it is the nature of our lives are supposed to, in a sense, unveil the Father's face so that people catch a glimpse of his glory through the very ordinary and mundane of who we are and what we do. So our good works are to unveil the Father's face for other people to see. But it's also a way in which God works through us to bring other people to glorifying the Father, which is the reason why they were created in the first place. Any of you uh, good Presbyterians in here? Okay, a few sheepishly raised their hands. It's okay, you can still be Presbyterian, that's fine. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, what is the chief end of humanity? chief end of human beings is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And notice what's happening here. Jesus is saying, let your light shine because people will see your good works and they will glorify your Father in heaven. People will reach the purpose for which they were created. They will flourish and be fully alive as they glorify God and enjoy him forever. So don't conceal your light. Because it's key for people flourishing in the world. So there we have it. Jesus' vision for the church. Extraordinary claims about very ordinary people. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And so I want to conclude with just two takeaways. The first is this. I'm working in lots of couplets this morning, I'm realizing, so sorry about that. But Jesus changes the question we should be asking in this cultural moment, I think, here. So I don't know about you, but for me, oftentimes when I watch the news or I watch TV for a moment and it only takes about two minutes of it, I go, I, I go what is happening to the world? I mean, right away, what is happening to the world? And that's an okay question to ask. But I think Jesus might be asking, where is the church? Like, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. I think Jesus might be saying to me sometimes that I have no right to keep my faith in the private sphere and then complain when the public sphere seems to be going so corrupt. I think Jesus might be saying to me, I have no right to withdraw from the inner cities and then complain when city life seems to be getting so immoral. 
Yes, what has happened to the world is a legitimate question, but maybe Jesus is saying, where is the salt and where is the light? And is the salt really salty and is the light really shining? That's a prodding question. But I think it's one that we need to always hold. And the second is that Jesus does not ask us to do anything for others that he has not already done for us and for the world. We are salt, not by trying to be salty, but because God's grace has touched our hearts. We are light, not by trying to be light, but because God's truth has illumined our minds and filled our imagination. In other words, we only offer the world what Jesus has first offered to us. And we can only be a blessing to the world as we experience God blessing us. And that's why, and we'll end here, I love our post-communion prayer that we've been saying in Epiphany so much. That's why I chose it, even though it's hard for us to say together. (laughs) Let me end by reading it. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace, and opened the gate of glory. Here it is. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights Give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you've set before us so that we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.